This is Frank About Sports, a.k.a. The Old Man. You're listening to the official Mets Weekly Podcast, hosted by four Mets fans who are brutally honest and don't hold back. Make sure to head over to our YouTube channel and follow us on TikTok for exclusive content on each platform. So with that being said, let's go Mets and enjoy the show. I have a bone to pick with SNY. So yesterday, David Robertson came into the ninth inning to close... And their Twitter account said, and I quote, sound the Skinner. This is not cool at all, all right? We say sound the trumpets when we can sound the trumpets. We can't do that this year. Also, Mr. Robertson, why Leonard Skinner? Is that supposed to be funny? Something like that? So we're going to just mock Edwin Diaz and Jacob deGrom in one sitting like I'm not suppressing enough pain this year? Fuck you, Ted Taco. Welcome to episode 14 of the Mets Weekly Podcast. 60 minutes of brutal honesty begins now. Y'all know the drill. Subscribe to the Mets Weekly channel. Follow us on Twitter, TikTok for all new content throughout the week. All of our individual links are in the description as well. So there's been quite a big ball of stress that has definitely formed so far. So how are we feeling? Uh, I mean, it's tough because, I mean, they played the Marlins two out of their three series, and that's where all of their victories have come from. You know, they play one team not named the Marlins, and everything falls apart. So... That definitely is not a good indicator of how the team is performing right now. I mean, they're going to face the Dodgers next week. They're going to face the Padres this week. So uh, you're going to face those tougher teams, and you'll get an even better feel of where this team is at. But as of right now, I, I'm not feeling great. I mean, particularly what I've seen the rotation, I, I think that there definitely are some concerns that there's a, a few guys that are getting the ball every five days that it, it just feels like automatic loss. And when you have an offense that – is I don't want to say isn't capable of putting up a lot of runs, but with their style of play, it's hard to put up a lot of runs. So when the pitchers pitch like that, they don't have the offense that can make up for it. So it just turns around to all around bad scenario. Ten games in, you know, gotta love we're beating the Marlins up. You know that that for us a few years ago, that's a benchmark. But again, yeah, the one time we've played at a division and a team that is a second tier team i wouldn't put them in the upper class with the padres and everybody else we get smacked so again i think you know it's 10 games in i'm not gonna go nuts there are some concerns there's some positives and you know again i'm not gonna lose my head 10 games in because you know it's 10 games in maybe down the line i think definitely will lose my head at other times but again we're still, there's some good, there's a lot of bad, but we'll see. I'm just tired of playing the Marlins. I really am. Because, yes, we went 4-2 and two against them, but after today's game, it just felt like 0-6 because every single game is a quest to the finish line. This team is so pesky, is so annoying, so aggravating to play. I'm tired of seeing them. I really am just tired of seeing them. And we play our division rivals less this year, so that's good to know. We played them six times already, so we get quite the break. I think the next time we play them is like September, yeah, July, mid-September. mid-September. So thank God that team pisses me off to my boil point. Speaking of going off the walls, so Andrew, you're going to have to um, bring it up a few notches here. Ten games in one overreaction so this is where we're going to open the floodgates we're just going to start it off here they're five and five one overreaction just one no 20 minute tangents shout at one thing one overreaction that you just want to scream at the top of your lungs. kodai senga is winning the national league sayo okay that's it all right yeah he wants positive pitching i'll give you negative pitching this team will not get past the first round of the playoffs if they do not make a trade for another starting pitcher. I, I kind of alluded to it last week, but it's become much more evident. this. And now I am fully convinced that Billy Epler would just let Pete Alonso walk in free agency because he hits too many homers. This team's fetish for guys who just hit the ball into the dirt and don't hit the ball hard enough at all in 2023 is absolutely sickening. I'm already tired of this lineup. I'm already tired of seeing this offense and 
seeing who's due up and just being like, yeah, all right, we're not scoring this inning. We're not going to do anything. We're not going to show any piece of life whatsoever. You know, Frank, you like your high batting average? Well, here they are. Welcome to 1982, where the launch angle doesn't exist and the cocaine is at its highest peak point. I know that deep down, and we're going to talk about this throughout the entire episode, they're not going to change. They will not change because they have a very stubborn manager and we have a very stubborn general manager. I understand saying that 10 games in sounds a little crazy and I'm overreacting. That's what we're doing here. This team is way too stubborn. And if they don't change their ways, they are going to get booted out by any other team in the National League. Now that we got that out of the way, this week the Mets got some good news regarding Justin Verlander's injury. Verlander's imaging on Wednesday revealed reduced inflammation in his right terrace major. He also expressed significant confidence that he can return before the end of April, but believes he'll progress even faster than that. Much of this will depend on how quickly, quote unquote, this teensy bit of inflammation still subsides. The Mets placed Verlander on the 15-day injured list last Last week before game one of the season and has yet to make his Mets debut. At this point, I, I just want to see the guy get on the mound. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, he's doing a little better. Hopefully he's back in April, whatever. I, I think it's, it's kind of one of those things where it's like, I want Verlander to stay back. I mean, we talked about this with the Grom for years where it's like, okay, you know, maybe he could work his way back, but is he going to come back just to get hurt again? I mean, is this something that he's going to kind of have to deal with throughout the course of the season? Is this something where he has to alter maybe the way he pitches, the way he stretches or his routine or whatever? If it means that he has to, you know, wait another week or two just so he's 100% healthy, I think it's worth it because when you look at the depth of this team, if Verlander has a more significant injury, they're really, really they're going to have even much harder time going where they need to go because they gave him so much money. I mean, you can't underestimate that, that he was, you know, the biggest offseason signing as far as how much AAV they gave him. So he's supposed to be a massive, massive part of this team. So if you're having him not be out there 100%, then it just, it's just not, it kind of defeats the purpose, especially as somebody at his age. You just have to be very, very careful with him. So uh, I think they should just take it slow. If he thinks he's 100%, he could come back. But I'm not like, oh my gosh, well, maybe he'll be back mid April because. You know, he's one of those guys that he pitches every five days. Like, okay, you know, maybe uh, Peterson or McGill goes back to the minors, but there's still some other problems with this team. So Verlander is not going to solve the, like we say, the just singles and walks and, you know, all the other issues that we've seen so far. We saw the update and really the tweet was just like, yeah, um, he's feeling a little bit better, but it really wasn't much of an update. It's just like, oh, yeah, he's still throwing. Like, it was literally copy-paste the tweet they put out before opening day. Yeah. Uh, I will again, like Frank said, I hope this is, you know, it's this random armpit thing. And hopefully this isn't, you know, something lingers throughout the season. And once he's back, he's back. But hell, at this point, next, whenever he comes in, Carlos Carrasco has got to be the guy that comes out of his spot. You can leave McGill in there, leave Peterson in. Carrasco has got to be either go to the IL because we all know he's hurt. He's pitching through. We all know he's like, oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. But then magically when Verlander is ready to be active, oh, he's got a stress fracture in his elbow or something. They'll come up with something to put him on the IL because at this point, at least McGill, again, was a productive inning. Carrasco's giving you no production at all. At this point, if and when Verlander is ready to go, Carrasco should be the one that comes out. And, again, we'll see when that happens, if that's in April. I still think probably the first week in May is probably the target, but maybe again. At this point, whenever he comes back, hopefully we can get him for four to five months consistently with no nagging injury. We'll obviously get to Carrasco later, but I think we've all just made jokes about it. We've made points about it. and We've just talked about this veteran staff that the Mets have, just whether it is their rotation, whether it is their hitting core, whether it is their bullpen. I've really seen it on TV for 10 games now. I've gotten to see them play with this team and this full unit. This team is so fucking old, grimacing watching most of this team. And I'm going to tell you right now, this is without Justin Verlander. This is without Justin Verlander, who is the oldest guy on this roster. This team just sluggish. They look so dead. And this, and most of it goes to the pitching. And I can tell you that right now, most of it goes to the pitching. I don't know how much 
Justin Verlander is really going to help that because I'm going to tell you right now, and we'll also get into that with the new pitch clock, the new the new pace and everything. I just don't think that they're up for the task in just in terms of in terms of pace whatsoever. As for Verlander, I think he will get back. I will always be nervous as to him being 40 years old, and I think that something will probably linger. We'll have some other problems. I really don't see any stability in this rotation whatsoever. And we talked about the question marks that we have going out through the rotation, whether it is health, whether it is their reliability, or you know whether it is you know the age or anything. But it's just for some reason, I just don't think that it's going to be enough to get us over that promised land where we just don't know what type of Verlander we're going to get. Are we going to get a fully healthy Verlander? Are we going to get a Verlander who shoved to a Cy Young last year? Are we going to get a Max Scherzer who like looks relatively to what he looked like for most of the season last year? I feel like the Mets have really put so much bank into their pitching being the strong suit. They might not have as big of a strong suit as they think that they do, especially in this era of baseball where things are moving a lot more quicker and how it's evolved. It just doesn't seem like this veteran staff looks like the experienced veteran staff that has the experience to go through because the game's changed so much. And that's the worry that I have with this rotation. And it's going to be even more troublesome bringing in a 40-year-old Verlander into the mix when he comes back from injury. Yesterday, Francisco Alvarez made his 2023 debut for the Mets after the club called him up to replace Omar Narvaez, who was placed on the injured list with a medium-to-high-grade calf strain. Regarding the anticipation of the Mets' top prospect, Buck Showalter had some interesting words, to say the least, on Alvarez's playing time at the big league level. It's kind of like a backup quarterback that gets drafted out of college. Everyone knows he's going to be a really good player, but the time he spends as a backup is very valuable too. The priority, and I think he understands it, is catching. He's going to impact the team the most there. Alvarez is 21 years old and spent most of 2022 in AA Binghamton before being called up to the major leagues in late September last season. And I'm, it just screams like this team wanted to call up Michael Perez because, oh, he's about the defense. and de Then don't call up. Francisco Alvarez. If you wanted a guy where all all that matters all that matters was the defense, then DFA Tommy Hunter and get Michael Perez on this roster. Because if that's what you want, has Francisco Alvarez improved defensively? Yes. Will he continue to progress defensively? We hope. Francisco Alvarez isn't giving you value defensively, even though he looked good behind the plate yesterday. He is a bat first catcher. Like you have a great defender in Tomas Nito. You have one of the best defensive catchers in Tomas Nino. And the fact that Buck, again, I hate keep saying this, but again, oh, the kid's got to play defense first. Kind of putting the kid in a doghouse before he even showed up. Kid, if you don't prove defensively, you're not going to play. Like, no! That's not what today's managers do. When they have a young generational talent, they say, go be you. Don't be, oh, I need you. Oh, you have to be good defense. If you're not good defensively, you're not going to play. Every other manager in today's game, let me phrase that, managers that adapt to today's game, when you get a young generational talent, you don't tell them you need to get better on, no, play to your strengths. And then we all know the value that Alvarez is. He's a good defensive catcher now. Will he continue to get better? Yes. But the fact that Buck is already kind of like, nope, kid, if you don't play good defense, you're going to sit on the bench. Then why is he here? Like, you can find a way to DFA someone, get Michael Perez on the roster, and boom, there's your backup defensive catcher, and he can be back in Syracuse playing every day. Because I've said it when he got called up last year. Whenever they made that call to him, he is the catcher. Narvaez being, I was okay, again, because we all thought, hey, he's going to be in Syracuse this year. Let him play in Syracuse every day. So at this point, again, I'm not calling for Buck because, again, we're 10 games in. But I'm seeing signs I don't like, which we, we've said throughout all of spring training. So far, again, he's one of the better managers. But you're starting to see that old you know, end of that Baltimore run where you're starting to see those old habits come back and not playing for today's game. So, again, hopefully he plays more than once a week. 
but we'll see. As everyone knows, I was an advocate for just never signing Narvaez and just letting Alvarez catch. Because uh, the way I look at it is that when they called him up at the end of last year, they started his clock. You know, you said, okay, kid, we think you're ready for the big leagues. Your bat is big league ready. We're calling you up because all of our other guys on the roster can't get it done. So they call him up, and then they send him down to start off the season. So maybe that messes with your psyche a little bit. They say, oh, no, we need to sign Narvaez and put Alvarez in AAA because he needs more seasoning. He needs to spend more time. And then within a week, he's already here. So, I mean, what does he need? Because it's like we say all the time, but their actions don't match their words because they're saying, oh, he needs more seasoning, but then they're in such a rush to call him up right away as soon as Narvaez has a little minor, I mean, I would say a a minor injury, but injury that isn't going to cause him the entire season. So Alvarez never got that seasoning that he so desperately needed. And I just think that if they want him to improve defensively, this isn't the way to do it. Making him the, as they called, backup quarterback, which I'll get to at the end because that's a terrible, terrible, terrible comparison to a backup catcher. But if you're going to have him play only a couple times a week, he's not going to be able to progress the way you want him to. Uh, The way I look at it is you're either all in or you're all out. Either Alvarez is your starting catcher, getting a majority of the playing time and getting that seasoning, getting those reps, improving defensively, adjusting more to the major league game because it's still pretty obvious He's still very green. He's still swinging at everything. He's still pressing up there. He's still super young. I mean, we saw that when he first got called up last year. He's just very excited up there. He's, he's not, you know, fully ready. But the only way he's going to learn is if he continues to play. So whether he has to play full-time somewhere, whether that's here or the minor leagues, he can't be kind of playing in the big leagues. I just don't think that's going to be the best development. I don't think that's going to be the best progression for him. So, Uh, I don't think this is the best way to do it. Again, they need to just make a stand and be like, okay, he's our starting catcher, or he will be our starting catcher, so we're going to keep him in the minors until he is 1,000% ready. This whole halfway, half doing it, it's not going to get the job done. And a backup quarterback, like if we're taking that term literally, a backup quarterback should never, ever, ever play for you. A backup quarterback should only play when you're up by 30 or when your starting quarterback is hurt. This is not a backup quarterback. This is a, a, a catcher. I mean, you're going to have multiple catchers on every single team because no catcher plays every day. I mean, no one does that anymore. So he's going to get playing time. Your backup quarterback should never get playing time. So it was just a dumb comparison. It's, it's not the same thing. But I, I'm just really I just don't I just don't understand exactly what is that they're doing because again, if you want the we talked about like. He's so important because he was, you know, the number one prospect in baseball. This year he was a number three, number five, whatever. Like, you got to treat him like gold. But this isn't the best way to progress him the way they're doing it right now. So I'm, like, I'm kind of glad that he's here, but I just don't like the way that they're utilizing him. So I think they need to make just a much more firm decision and say exactly what their intentions are. There was a tweet from Martino around the time when Buck Showalter said this. Uh, and he talked about basically, you know, the entire Mets front office, you know, they kind of rave about Tomas Nito and they they value his defense very highly. And, you know, you really should expect Nito to be catching behind the plate a lot. Now, the thing about this that bothers me is the Mets really and and I think Mets fans, they really I really do agree that Nito's overall impact should definitely be recognized a lot more. But the Mets need to stop advertising Nito as a starting caliber player who would just come off the bench to back up your catcher. Nito is a great backup catcher. He's a great defensive catcher, but that's it. Like the phrase of, we have Nito, should not be a quote used for when your starting catcher gets hurt. But the one part of this, what he said today, before he made this starting thing, and he's talked about the priority, and I think he understands it, that the priority is catching. The priority is defense. If his priority was defense, if it was the priority to have him in AAA, which is what they started off this year with Narvaez and Nito in the major leagues, you would have went out and got somebody who could hit a goddamn home run over the winter. If that would if his defense was so important, which I believe it is, defense is obviously important for the catchers. You would have gotten somebody who can hit the ball over the goddamn fence. 
but you didn't. You ignored power like they usually do. What the hell is he doing here? I don't know what he is doing here, to be honest. I'm going to tell you right now how they're pretty much treating this and how we're seeing this from the beginning. You might as well just call up the oldest player in in the the the, the in AAA and add him to the roster because it doesn't look like they want to have any piece of youth on this roster whatsoever. So what the hell is he doing here? Not to mention, we all know who should have been here first out of all the prospects. The Mets are so stubborn, and I've talked about this so many times, they make the right decision way too late. It takes so long for the right decision or the more impactful decision to actually go through and drill through the skull of the front office. And that is very frustrating to me for a win-now team that's trying to win a World Series. What is Alvarez actually doing here? If we're here for just his defense and Nito is going to play three out of the five days, Francisco Alvarez has the ceiling to be a starting catcher. I don't agree that he should be in the majors right now, to be honest. But if he's going to be here, he should be the starting catcher. He should be the C1. And the fact that we're basically seeing him as an additional bench player and, you know, not an not a necessity to this lineup is insane. It's kind of just how, you know, they also viewed the whole Correa thing of him being a luxury. It's just I can't deal with this anymore where they just like to stick with what they have. And when it doesn't work out, they still wait four, five months later than they should have to change the problem. It's just ridiculous how they they just say that they're going to do one thing and, and, and do the other thing. At this point, if defense is so important, Michael Parrish should be up here. Do I agree with that? Is he going to supply any offense? No. We've seen what they, they've talked about this in spring training where we want him to get seasoning in AAA and his defense is what we want to see. The bat is, is, is you know, tip-top 99% ready for the major leagues. So, you know, why is he here then? I do want to ask this to you guys. How do you guys feel about the catcher DH platoon of Vogelbach against righties and then Alvarez against righties behind the plate? And then you also have against lefties, Alvarez is the DH and then Nito is the catcher. I mean, it, it is an idea to obviously get his bat in the lineup. And, you know, we know Vogelbach cannot hit lefties and the lefty DH is Tommy Pham or Mark Canna. So... I mean, we'll see where Starling Marte looks like he's not going to be out. You know, we'll see how well Marte feels in the morning. You know, against lefties, you could do fam and right, cannon and left, and then have Alvarez behind at the H with Nito as the catcher. Again, his bat needs to get in the lineup any possible way. But again, that goes against the philosophy that we were told that, hey, we want him to play catcher. We don't want him at DH. So it, it, his bat needs to be in the lineup. But then they would be going up, going back against what they said all throughout spring training is, oh, he's not going to win the DH job against left-handed pitching because we want him to be a catcher. So at this point, I would do it just to get his bat in the lineup. But again, they've said all spring, oh, he doesn't want, we don't want him to be the left-handed DH. We want him to be a catcher. And then what's the first thing they would do? So I'd keep to get his bat in the lineup, yes, but we'll see if they actually would do it. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't get the sense that they will. I, I think that um, there is obviously a big commitment to Tommy Pham. You see how much he's playing. And again, like, Tim LaCastro is starting too much, too. I mean, the fact that, you know, they have to DH Canna and have LaCastro make starts, like, and, you know, Nimmo needs a day off. Like, it, it's hard to get, you know, all, I mean, all of your best bats in the lineup at once because, you know, then Marte comes out of the game and, Guillaume is in there batting second against a lefty. Like, there's just so many other just ridiculous things that happen throughout the course of the days that you can never get your you know full lineup in there, your ace lineup in there because you know everybody always need, has something going on that that you just can't have your other guys out there. Uh, and I think that you're, you're seeing it. We saw it last year where teams kind of stacked up their left-handed starters to face the Mets, and the Mets have seen a ton of lefties in the rotation. And you look at a team like the Marlins, who have so many lefties in their bullpen, that no matter what, you're always facing a lefty. So Vogelbeck becomes pretty useless. I mean, he, he's, he's not playing. He's not going to come in off the bench and do anything. And if Alvarez is taking up a bench spot, like, I mean, we've just talked about it. It's an, a nausea at this point. But 
again, the lack of versatility on this team is, is very concerning because you just have so many guys on, on this roster that they don't do much. They're just very, very one-dimensional. I mean, they all, like, draw walks. You know, Guillaume plays good defense. LaCastro's fast. Volkovac gets on base. Alvarez has power, but it's like, again, nobody does like multiple things really well. So you're just kind of left with, with a bunch of just okay guys, which leads to this just okay offense where Alonzo has to do all the heavy lifting. And Marte is like the only guy that has a pulse on this team that does anything dynamic. Everybody else is singles and walks and the occasional Alonzo home runs. Marte is the guy hitting doubles. He tries to steal a base. He tries to make something happen. And he almost gets killed for it. So, I mean, you just see, we talk about so much of the same kinds of players. Uh, just uh, like you said earlier, the pace is so alarming. When, when you see the other teams and, and they steal all these bases and there's just so many more home runs being hit throughout the course of the league, everybody but the Mets. I mean, we may get to the point where Pete Alonso will hit more home runs than the rest of the team combined. Like if it weren't for Marte and Lindor, totally possible. Like, that is very alarming. You can't have a bottom of the order that goes Escobar, Nito, and then Tommy Pham leading off. And LaCastro's in there, too. Like, you, you just have so many automatic outs, just one guy after another, after another, after another. It, it becomes that Alonzo has to carry the team even more, which we thought shouldn't even be possible. And again, why Correa was never a luxury. He was an absolute need. Because if you keep invading in the minors, if you keep an Alvarez in the minors, you knew all these old guys the Mets have, your Escobar, your Canna. They're only going to get worse. They're only a year older. They're not going to get better. So I just think that, you know, the Mets, they try to keep the same team that they had last year, and you haven't seen any improvement yet. I mean, obviously it's still early, but I just don't see, like, where it's going to come from. Like, because we said from the beginning, if it doesn't come from Alvarez or Beatty, all these other old guys, these one-dimensional guys, it's, it's not going to happen. I mean – they're not going to change, so Billy Epler needs to make a change because, as like you said, this team is not going to change. Buck's not going to change. They have to go from outside to to do some different things. They got to shuffle the deck a little bit here because it is just very lethargic. It's very stagnant, and it's, it's just not fun to watch at all. I mean, you could just see the flaws, and it's not a, a sustainable blueprint for success. Like, again, just going back to just doing things later than they really should have, and they just let things ride out way too long. It's just, they there's still dead weight here. There just still is dead weight that also could be replaced with youth and guys who are not in their mid-30s being, you know, the big four that we have in Syracuse are big three now because Alvarez is up here. But, you know, out of all those four prospects, at this point, like, I'm very close where, you know, if we see throughout all April that this offense is not sustaining any production whatsoever, just call all four of them up, have them all four of them here at once and just, you know, find a way to just try and wedge, wedge all four of them into the lineup and see what you get with the youth because nothing's going to change. Nothing will change. And even though we're 10 games in, I just, I don't, I don't see a difference maker coming in here right now and catching fire. I don't see any guy that is struggling that is going to have a fantastic year and impact the entire lineup whatsoever and, you know, make us one of these top five offenses. I don't see that happening. And I look at this offense and if you don't have Alvarez in there every day, if Pete Alonso does not carry this team on his back, we're going for the dirt nap offensively during a game. They're done. It's over. It's just not going to happen whatsoever. Nothing is going to happen. When Alonso doesn't hit, no one else is hitting. It's not going to happen. And even though we do have good hitters, Nimmo, Marte, McNeil's a great hitter. Like, we have all overall great hitters. I just don't think that that's an approach for winning. And I still am just really... I'm I'm upset with how this this I'm really upset with how this lineup is formed, whether it has Alvarez in it or not. Now speaking of dead weight, 
Eduardo Escobar, he did pick it up the last two days, a little bit microscopically, but overall he has been dreadful. Four for 32, slashing 133, 161, 267 with a nine WRC plus so far this season. But all eyes continue to hover to Mets number two overall prospect, Brett Beatty, who returned to the Syracuse lineup yesterday, who has started the season six for 18 with four extra base hits. It's nice to see Eduardo Escort finally starting to do something productive, so I'll give him that. He did look better, homered. You know, we like, you know, we complain that nobody hits homers on this team. He homered this week, yesterday, two days ago, so that's good. Got another hit today, so hey, early, pretty again, slowly but surely. Again, gotta let the vets warm up. Again, it takes a while for these older guys to get hot. Again, we've said it for weeks now. In a, instead of just doing the same spiel about, hey, you know. Brett had the thumb injury, and he's back in the lineup, and he drew two walks. So, I mean, hell, he'll fit right in today. But, again, with Brett, it's a matter of time. They're going to give Eduardo Escobar kind of the Robinson Cano treatment. They're going to give him a month or two, month and a half, and let Brett's defense continue to improve because, hey, that's what they value. They did it with Alvarez. Obviously, we're seeing it with Beatty. They want to see an improvement on the defensive side of the ball. So, hey. Give him until mid-May, it seems like. That will probably be the earliest, barring an injury to someone. Uh, again, I'm not. we've said the same thing. We can yell and scream, but at this point, the Mets value that defensive improvement. And until that happens, we'll probably be having Escobar until probably about mid-May. And then, again, we'll see if he gets hot. If not, again. We're ten games in. They're not gonna cut they're not gonna pull that plug probably until about the thirty game mark. So again, we got a few more weeks of this and we'll see if he you know he show the pulse. So we'll see. Yeah, I, I really hope that this whole Brett Beatty's defense thing is not actually keeping the match from calling up because it can't be, because there is no defense for the garbage pitching that we saw on Sunday. When Carrasco is they call him Cookie Carrasco, but he's serving up cookies to the other team. As you see in home run after home run, what the hell is the defense at third base going to do about that when the ball keeps going over the wall? There's no defending that. Defense, schmefense, that doesn't mean anything. The only way you can counteract all the home runs that other teams around baseball are hitting is, A, hitting some home runs yourself and answering back, or option B, trade your young pieces that you're not using because they all need to be defensive wizards. Everybody needs to be Ozzie Smith and Brooks Robinson in order to get called up. You might as well trade him because you're in win-nam mode to get actual quality pitchers. Now these old men and these minor league guys that can't get the job done. So it's just like when Escobar is struggling this bad and you say it's 9 WRC+, plus, what could it hurt to call a Beatty? Because don't forget, they called him up last year too. So they started his clock already as well like they did with Alvarez. So all this, oh, we're waiting, we're waiting. Well, then why did you call him up last year to begin with? You already put yourself in this position. So uh, I know right now Beatty's got the thumb thing going on again. You know, I don't know what's up with him and his fingers always getting some kind of injuries or whatever, but whenever his fingers are all healed up, he should be back on the main, the big league team and he should be starting at third base. Again, I I said just a little while ago, but these older guys, it it only gets worse. And we know that the fans are clamoring for Beatty. Uh, We know that Escobar continues to struggle. And, And like I said, when it comes to New York, when you're slumping, New York is the hardest place to get out of a slump because you're going to get booed. And, and it happened to Escobar last year. He got booed all year. He did well in September. Then we didn't need Correa anymore. Then he goes back to being bad, and he's going to get booed again. So, I, I mean, like we say, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me eight times, that just makes me a dumbass. So I, I just don't know what it is that the Mets are waiting for because you just can't tell me, oh, we need defense, oh, we need defense. Like, Escobar is not Manny Machado. He's not, you know, your, your boy Matt Chapman. He's, he's, a, he's a pretty he's a decent, he's an average defender at third base. But his average defense, or slightly below average, whatever you want to call it, does not make up for his far below average hitting that we've seen this year. Uh, and again, you need to shake something up. You've got to make some changes because it's clear that just running out the same lineup as last year is not giving you better results. you got to insert some youth. It just it gets something new, give this team a jolt, a, a spark, because – Right now, I mean, like you said, it's a lot of ground outs. It's a lot of walks. I mean, what was their game uh, uh, earlier this week? They had, like, what, 11 walks or 10 walks or something like that and barely any runs. 
Like, I, I mean, you can only get so many walks and, and do so much with that. When the other team hits three-run homers, two-run homers, and, you know, they don't need 11 base runs. They only need two, and they're able to score more runs than you. So um, there just has to be a, a change in, in their approach and how they're handling it. You don't have to give Escobar till mid-May, June, whatever. I mean, make the move. I mean, who's kidding who at this point? Like, like you know, Beatty was one of your big-time prospects. You could just see that Escobar, it, again, his at-bats, they don't look quality at all. The hit he got today was a, a ground ball. And like I said, the home run he hit, you know, barely got over the wall. Wow. I, I mean, doesn't that make up for the other 30 at-bats? So I, I think that a move definitely needs to be made. Once Beatty's healthy, he should be here. I said it already, dead weight. Dead weight. What is he doing? He's not doing anything. He's not producing. He's not doing anything. Like, what? what is there? Is there anything that actually he does that can contribute to a championship level lineup we know what he's capable of we talk about this all the time he know what he's capable of we know what he is at his best we've seen it plenty of times he's 34 years old he's not going to get better it's time to pull the plug it really is time to pull the plug i understand 10 games in they're going to give him even more chances i 100 would say guillaume is better but that doesn't say much <laughs> like it really doesn't say much guillaume is not an everyday player either but again, he's a guy, Guillaume is another guy who he, even, he's better than Escobar, fine, but it's one, he's another one base at a time guy. He's a single and a walk. There's, he, he's just so redundant to what the rest of this lineup already is. He would not change much. And some would say, and it's possible that eventually he'll become dead weight as well. To be honest, at this point, like if he's just, you know, <laughs> if he's just swinging a noodle out there one every five days. So, I mean, again, I've talked about it before. It's just, there's just so much lack of versatility there's so many like there's just so many pieces on this team that shouldn't be here they should not be here and it's not going to change i can guarantee you that it is not going to change eduardo escobar is not a good hitter he is not and even when he was he was slightly above average he never was a great hitter so for whatever he has proven in his career, it is not important over your top prospect in Brett Beatty. It should not be the deal. And I'm going to tell you right now, with how obsessed this team has and this, this ridiculous deep profile fetish that they have for older players, I know damn well that if Eduardo Escobar gets hurt or Luis Guillorme gets hurt, Danny Mendick is the next guy coming up here. I know damn well that's happening because he's on a major league contract and they like him. He puts the ball in play. So they are going to do whatever they can to lock up these prospects as long as they can. And it's just so aggravating. Not to mention, we talk about this all the goddamn time. A $350 million payroll should not have Tim LeCastro in their starting lineup ever unless they have injuries and they don't really have many injuries to position players it's all really just pitching rest days are not really that much of an option because you refuse to bring in some of these young guys who could play in place of a lot of the dead weight because then you're putting the dead weight into the lineup and they're fucking useless they have to rely on their stars of being such a top heavy roster but if you take one piece out of there, it's a problem. I need them to have more flexibility, and they don't. In terms of stressful performances, I'd say no one has been more of a disaster than Carlos Carrasco. In his first two starts combined, the 36-year-old right-hander has posted 8.2 innings pitched, 10 hits, 11 earned runs, 3 home runs allowed, 7 walks, and just 5 strikeouts. The biggest concern was raised in the fifth inning last week against Milwaukee when Carrasco's fastball velocity dropped to a consistent 88 to 89 miles per hour. Although there are no health worries that we know, Carrasco went on to claim his concern with the new pitch clock, saying that it's crazy, I only have 15 seconds, and it could be a strong reason for recent fatigue in older pitchers. As said, Carrasco's next start against Miami yesterday was no better, with his fastball having the same concern, dropping below 90 miles an hour almost a dozen times in five innings pitched. It's been batting practice. I mean, you look at the Marlins, and yeah, they're, you know, they're improved offense. They're still not a great mm -hmm. offense. But again, they're murdering, and we all saw what happened in Milwaukee. This is a point. I don't know how much longer you can just leave him out there. Just every fifth day, you're pretty much just putting an L 
because you're going to be down three nothing in the first inning and you're already climbing out of the hole in the first. But the excuse of oh now you know all oh, I have 15 seconds of the pitch clock. Every team and every pitcher is, has to deal with it. I don't want to hear the excuse. It's not you're not only you're not the only one who has the new pitch clock. Everybody's got it. And yeah, has there been some complaints? But yeah, but nobody's saying oh because my velocity's down. No, maybe because you're a 37 year old pitcher, you never really threw hard. You know, your command, that was what you were. You were a slider. That's what you are. You're never, you were never hitting 97, 98. So at this point, again, you're paying them. So you're going to have to send them out there. And Verlander is going to be at least another couple weeks. So you have them and you're not going to trade him because nobody was going to want that contract and seeing how he's pitched. You can't just trade him now. So you're, he's under contract. You have him. And the pitching depth is Dylan Bundy. So who, who isn't that much better than. And what he is so at this point you're stuck with him maybe again maybe it's hopefully only two times through and Verlander's back you have Justin take his spot but again it's 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 uncompetitive uh it's an uncompetitive game when Carrasco's on the mound because every time he sits oh it's three nothing oh it's the first inning problems that has been with Carrasco ever since he put a Met uniform on so you know you're paying him you have him here nobody wants him so you're stuck with them. It's your depth. And this just shows how they have not been able to develop any pitching depth because if a, a competent team with some depth, they wouldn't have him under roster. We talked about it a while back, but the decision to, the decision to keep him like, oh, don't worry, they're going to trade him. And they never did. And he ended up being in the rotation no matter what. So uh, they already put themselves in this situation when they decide to pick up that team option instead of, like we said, exploring younger options, trying to get some different arms onto this team. Because it's like we said with a lot of the other veterans on this team, as you get older, it only becomes tougher. And, and like Andrew said, we've seen these problems with the fifth inning. And the same thing happens this last game against the Marlins. He gives up three runs in the fifth inning. He has no velocity. He's walking batters. He can't put anybody away. He can't get strikeouts. Like, he's done. He's cooked. It's not going to... All of a sudden, his next start, he's going to have more velocity. He's going to have his stuff again. You're fighting a pointless battle at this point, and you're just going to keep getting beat up like this. And like Andrew said, when you're falling down 5 nothing this early with this kind of offense that doesn't answer back with home runs, it's just a very hard recipe to win ball games. And we don't have other options. You know, with McGill already in the rotation, with Pearson already in the rotation, you know Quintana, he might not come back at any point this year. Like, no matter what, somebody someone's gonna have to be in this rotation, and they even like we saw about remember a while back the six man rotation. We could barely survive with five, so I, we can't even discuss six man at all right now. They don't have the depth for that, so it's just it's sad because you know Carrasco, he's a good guy, he's been through a lot, but I mean, if we're in win now mode with this kind of payroll, he can't be pitching every five days. I, I mean, they gotta do something, uh, whether that's trade a young piece or, or they. So I don't. They gotta do something. I mean, they've got to try something because I just don't see this getting any better. If anything, could only get worse because Carrasco. My other big concern is his injury history. I mean, we talk about like lack of depth and the injuries this pitching already has. Carrasco, he's just like he could go down at any point. We've seen him get hurt every single year that he's been a Met, and as you get older, you're only more injury prone. So um, it's a shame that it's come to this so early in the season, but. Again, I mean, based off his performance last year, I, I just can't see this getting any better. So uh, I, I wish the Mets would be proactive and actually do something about it now to not let it get worse. But And just, you know, keep piling up those losses every five days. And you had to have Steven Nagosik pitch, you know, who knows how many innings. And you now he's done for a few days. So now you got no long relief, man, in case anything else goes wrong in these next few days. You have no days off facing the Padres' big-time offense. So uh, you just screwed yourself for a few days by letting this guy pitch uh, you know, today. So uh, it, it's, it stinks to watch, but, I mean, this is the situation they're in right now, this decision they made. Uh, he's a guy we talked about trading while he still maybe had some value. But like Andrew said, with the contract he has right now, you will not get anything for him. He has absolutely zero trade value. It, it's like almost McCann-level trade value where you'd be paying – and you get absolutely nothing back just to get him off the roster, which when it comes to starting pitching, you shouldn't have to do that. And again, since the Mets don't have any alternatives, like we talked about so many times, they did not get any depth. They did not get a single pitcher of depth because they lost their Grom, so they signed Verlander. They lost Bassett, so they signed Senga. It's like we talked about last year. All they did was a bunch of swaps 
there was no actual addition. There was no adding extra pieces. They, all they did was just swap guys out and then leave the rest of them. And now when these things happen, they have no backup plans and they're just stuck. And, and it's just annoying to watch that they don't have another option. Five players I dislike for 2023. Carrasco was on there. And there's a reason why he's on there. It's because there's something called a downward slope. And we saw a very vulnerable Carrasco towards the end of the year when he came back from that one minor injury and then he was injured again. And it just, he didn't look like himself. He did not look like himself whatsoever. He didn't look like he was going to put up that quality three to four run ball, five to six innings. Then they pick up the option, which was the vested option. They, they, they picked that up. I believe they were right to do that, obviously. Didn't have any pitching. So many guys moving in free agency. But they were wrong to not move him. And I can tell you this right now, there's so many reasons why. And I think I'm repeating myself because I think it, it's easy to say. They have no youth in this rotation. They have zero youth in this rotation. Your youngest right now, obviously you can talk about you know McGill and, and Peterson both being 27 or whatever. But going into this year, Senga was your youngest one at age 30. There was no youth in this rotation, and you had injuries at the top to try and protect uh, a 40-year-old and a 38-year-old at your number two. That 40-year-old is already hurt, so that backup plan is already shifted up towards the in the rotation. Not to mention, Carlos Carrasco is not in the long-term plans of this franchise. He isn't. He's not coming back next year. If he does, we're going to have a problem, which he most likely will not be. You should have traded something for him. Overall, he made 29 starts. He was durable, somewhat durable last year. You're telling me no stupid team would say, hey, I'll take Carlos Carrasco in the back end of my rotation for a controllable arm. You're telling me you don't want to pull a trigger on that? Got, you know, sub two win season, somebody at the back end of your rotation, pitched fairly well for the majority of the season, just had a little bit of injury history. But no. Now he's, his value is nothing. And I didn't think that it would come so soon as to where I want this guy off, like the like not in my rotation and not starting whatsoever. But it's come to a point where this guy is horrible to watch. He is unwatchable. He is unplayable. You cannot put him out there to start. He's not going to give you a starter sample. He's going to give you four or five innings of him just slugging through five, six-run ball. He looks like crap. His fastball velocity is down two miles an hour already this year. He has no command of his slider. It's all over the place. He's walking guys, which he never does. That was something that he always was known to do throughout his career. He's on the downswing. They should have saw this coming. I don't understand why he's still here. I don't understand why they didn't move him. And now they're not going to be able to. It's either they phantom IL him or they just continue to ride this out, which I know they're going to. They're going to continue to ride it out because Buck Showalter just said he'll be better next time. In my head, I'm like, oh, great. There's going to be a next time where he gives up five runs, six runs, and doesn't even make it to the sixth inning. Fan-freaking-tastic. He's 36 years old. He's not getting any better. He's not getting any younger. It's come to a point where Carlos Carrasco is not a reliable part to this rotation. I understand he only made two starts, but it's not going to get better from here, especially when you've dipped to the level of throwing 88 to 89 mile an hour fastball, where you phantom IL Carlos Carrasco, because it's a good chance that he's hurt right now. If you're throwing 88 to 89 miles an hour, it's a good chance that he's hurt. And you say, Jose Budo, what do you got? He's pushed okay so far in AAA. Might as well get some youth into the rotation something but we all know that that's not going to happen and we're going to get another start of carlos carrasco it's just going to feel like a punt game like today felt like a punt game putting tim lacastro in the lineup and just benching nimmo yeah don't yeah bench your best hitter bench your bench your leadoff hitter who table sets and is a catalyst for your offense again like i said with dead weight they're just coming to a point of where there's too much of it and it continues to grow. The population continues to grow of dead weight. And they are in a massive situation. And most of this dead weight is old. No youth. No youth whatsoever. The only trade the Mets could have made would be to get, well, I would have hoped, was just some young arms that have, like, a little bit of potential. They may not have been your traditional, like, sub-three ERA guys. Because nobody was going to give you that for Carrasco. But 
where is the player development on the Mets? Like, we see all over the league these random, out-of-nowhere guys who were out of baseball, who we never heard of, were not big prospects, that they just come to a team and it clicks, and they become this this star, this great player, this really useful player. Other than, like, your McNeil and your DeGrom, like these guys who got drafted super late, we don't see a guy come to the Mets who wasn't very good and all of a sudden just become a star. Like, I, I can't trust the Mets front office to trade a Carrasco or an Escobar or any veteran you think of for some just some random young players, and then one of those guys becomes a star. They just haven't done it. They haven't shown me that. They haven't developed it. They have not developed young pitching since all these guys, the DeGrom, the Harvey, the Wheeler. Once those guys left, there's been no youth, no quality young pitching that's been developed that can be like a steady guy in their rotation. They've had to go with these hired arms, Verlander, Scherzer, and you know they're just going to do the same thing over and over once those guys' contracts expire. And they're going to have to keep getting these old guys because they can't develop their own guys. They drafted Kumar Rocker just, and then his medicals weren't good, and they lost them. So they have not been able to get those quality arms. You know they keep getting catchers and these other guys who. As right now, they don't have an impact on this team. So they don't have, like I've said a million times, they don't have any pitchers on the horizon. They have no pitchers on the way. Like, this is going to be a continuous problem. Unless they think that they just have this deep cone money, they could just keep signing pitchers and keep signing pitchers. They're never going to get that quality, long-term controllable arms that could be in your rotation for a long time. They don't have that right now. And if they continue to not develop players, they're just going to hold on to these variants and they will have this dead weight because – this front office has not done a good job of trades, so they can't get any other young talent onto this team because they haven't drafted it, they haven't developed it, and they're not going to trade for it either. So they're just going to keep having this problem of just being too old. We we did make a video of, of three teams that could possibly uh, trade for Carlos Carrasco during the offseason, and a lot of those possible return pieces were young guys who are you know they maybe they kind of flopped at the major league level once they came in or you know they're a little bit lower minor league pieces and they're still young and it definitely could develop the you know the the garden of youth shall we say on the Mets that pretty much is completely non-existent and I can tell you right now from a what was it a a a sub what was it sub four and run average last year from Carlos Carrasco right for what was it, $13 million, $14 million that he's making this year? It wasn't hard to move. For some reason, they said, we need this guy. We need a 36-year-old veteran who has shown signs, who has had two surgeries just while he's been a part of our franchise in a span of two to three years, has had two major surgeries, a torn hamstring, not a pull hamstring, a torn hamstring, an elbow surgery. You could have got something for him, and you didn't. Andrew, who were who were some of those those pieces? I forget. There's a few like Jay Groom was there. Jay Groom, Josh Taylor, who got traded. Hudson Haskins. We brought yeah Hudson Haskins. We brought a bunch of guys like young, controllable arms. Uh, who else was in the tenth video? I know we talked about uh, a couple outfielders, but like yeah, there was and all the like, those the guys we talked about like Jay Groom, Josh Taylor ended up getting traded too. So again. Wouldn't it have been nice to have a you know a cheap left here can Jake Room just to have a guy in Triple A just in case for depth? Of course, that would be nice. But no, we want to keep getting old. So now that brings us to the questions that you guys sent to us. If you want to ask us a question, make sure to click the link in the description, fill out your name, your Mets related question, and it could be answered on the next episode of the Mets Weekly podcast our question today comes from mets don't win yeah you're telling me (laughs) most concerning hitter in the mets lineup so far okay it's tough because there's a lot of guys who really suck i I mean let's just call it like like (laughs) this whole bench is god awful but i'll say that today like as of this very date i'm most concerned with tomas nito only because he's gonna be starting like, we, we talked about with Escobar, maybe they could just pull the plug and, and just have Beatty just fix that. Or maybe Guillaume could at least give you some kind of production. But if they're going to treat Alvarez like the backup quarterback and he's not going to get to play, like, Nito is going to be out there just doing absolutely nothing at the plate far too many days. Like, hopefully Tim LaCasha only plays once a week. Tommy Fan plays too much as it is. But Nito is a guy who's just going to be there so much that he's going to just continue hurting this team with his lack of offense. You know, the double plays, 
the pop-ups, the strikeouts. I mean, he's not a guy that gets on base. Uh, last year, he was bunting. He might need to go back to that. Eduardo Escobar in the eighth spot and uh, Tomas Nino in the ninth spot, both bunting back-to-back. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, they might. Uh, that's what happens. Like, if whoever's seventh, I don't know, Vogelback or McNeil or Canna, whoever, if they get on, it's it just bunt-bunt. Hopefully, Nemo can drive them in. But, um, again, it's just that there are other guys who are worse on the team as far as hitting, but he just plays so much that he's going to have the biggest imp- or lack of impact with due to his playing time. Daniel Vogelbach, because he really hasn't done anything. Sean his walks, that's what he does, but, like, name one thing he's done productive this year. Got thrown out at second in Milwaukee. It's literally the only thing offensively I can remember this season him doing. And yes, the Mets have faced five lefties and they're going to face two more this in this upcoming series of San Diego, so you're not going to see him at all. But majority of the time, you would think he's going to be in the lineup because you're usually facing a right-handed pitcher, but of course, the Mets just a lock of always facing everyone's left-handed pitchings. Well, you get guys like Tommy Pham getting ABs, which he has been better. He's been decent, so I can't uh, be mad at Tommy Pham. But so just Daniel Vogelbach, he has done literally nothing of note this year. Vogelbach's been really disappointing. And I'd say that he's my biggest L so far of hot takes. I'm going to say Canna. He's just dropped off. He really just doesn't look like it. Even though last two games he showed a little bit of life. I'm aware, I'm aware of that. But I don't know. This ain't the Mark Canna that I fell in love with in Oakland. Like he's just a different type of player. And he's really just starting to show. Uh, maybe he's starting to show a little bit of age of where, you know, occasionally he's going to get a single. And he'll walk and whatever. I mean, he's not aggressive. He's not this. He's not that. It's just a lot of things has to go right for him. And they don't really have a left fielder up in the wings of somebody who's young, even though they wouldn't even call him up. But I wouldn't be surprised if Canna's job, you know, diminishes throughout the season. I really wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I love Canna. Canna's like, you know, I I watched this guy, you know, develop as an A. But like... The man's breaking my heart at this point. You know, he has tons of time to turn it around, obviously. 152 games left, but, you know, I, I just, I still am kind of concerned of him anchoring that lower half of the order when, you know, the death row is coming afterwards behind behind Alonzo or behind McNeil or wherever you have them in the lineup. So let's get to studs and duds. Someone who's been great, someone who's been bad. I hate usually taking the generic answer, but when you get four home runs in the league, it kind of has to be Pete Alonzo. I mean, two homers on Sunday and then two more in the Miami series. Yeah, two more in the Miami series. I mean, he's been, the, again, he's the entire offense. If that we go as far as he takes us, Four homers in the week. He has to be the stud of the week. I'm going to go with the guy I feel like I go with every week since Andrew Ray took Alonzo. Like I said, the only other guy that really has a pulse on this team, and that's Marte. I, I think that, you know, he's a guy that, you know, we see him hit home runs. Again, like he's getting extra base hits. He's making things happen, you know, no matter where he's at. Stealing a few bases. Like, I, I just, it, like, I wish there were more Martes. Marte-type players. Guys that could do more than one thing because – He's not a guy who's just one base because here's the thing, like with Marte, is that even if he did get a single or he did draw a walk, which walks aren't really his thing, he's a guy who actually likes to swing the bat. What a crazy concept. The rest of these guys don't know about that. But at least he could steal a base. At least he could advance on a ball in the dirt. Or, you know, he could go first to third on a base hit. Like, at least he could get a, you know, get one base, but then do something to move along. Whereas the rest of these guys, if McNeil draws a walk, if Nimmo gets a single, if Canada draws a walk, they're just staying there. There's no other way they could get around the bases. And I just think that if the Mets had more players like Marte that has some speed, that could, you know, hit more line drives or going for extra base hits, they'd just be a much better all-around team, just a much better offense. Marte, what I like about him so far this year, he's pulling the ball. He's pulling the ball. I love it. But hey, Tyler McGill. That's the Tyler McGill that I want right there. Not overthrowing. He looks fantastic. I still want to see a little bit more strikeouts from him, but we got some length from him. We got six innings. Um, Even though he's apparently five and fly, which I've been told, he shoved through. He got us a win that we definitely needed after getting swept uh, in Milwaukee. I would have given him another inning after that. He had 88 pitches. Would have given him another one. But he's too young to be on the mound uh, for this team. So, dud. Because he dudded twice in the week. I mean, we spent a lot of time on but it just has to be Carrasco. I, I mean, like, there's bad, but then there's just, like, just absolutely, I, I, like, the word for it, it's just, like, it's draining. 
Like, you know what I mean? Like, it just takes all the life out of the team. When you see a guy just getting bombed, just, you know, time after time. And, and guess, you know, De La Cruz and Garrett Cooper and these guys are just destroying him. It, like, it, it just makes it like, what's the point if you're the Mets? Like, it just takes all the, the energy out of the team where, you know, you, you're trying to get back in the game. You're, you're leaving, you know, a million guys on base. And can't hit a run score position. And Carrasco, he just can't get through anything. Like, you know, Nagosik has to come in and get all these extra outs. The bullpen has to get all these extra outs. Because it's like Carrasco can't go more than four innings without getting absolutely crushed. And again, it's like if that's the case, he can't be pitching no matter what. Because a guy that can only go four innings, it's not going to do wonders for your rotation when you don't have a lot of molting guys in your bullpen. So it's just a recipe for disaster. And you're not doing a six-man rotation. Like, it's just not going to work. And I I really – and again, like, I just don't – they're just not doing anything about it. Like – Oh, he had a bad start. Okay, we're not going to call anybody up. We're not going to trade anybody. We're not going to try something new. I mean, again, just Mets, they leave the team, and all of a sudden they could do things. Seth Lugo threw 109 pitches against the Atlanta Braves. Guy was a reliever for the Mets for a few years and had no arm left. He threw 109 pitches. Go figure. You know, I mean, but that's typical. I mean, isn't that like typical Mets, though? They, they leave, and all of a sudden their their body works again. How about that? It's just – it's crazy. And then you have guys like Carlos Carrasco just absolutely getting your team killed. But Seth Lugo could do six things while in ball against the break. And the obvious answer, it kind of has to be Carrasco. I mean, if we're just talking – because he only had one start this week. Max Scherzer. Yeah. If we're just talking about just the one start this week, four home runs in Milwaukee. Back in to back to back to back. <laughs> in a row. Getting bumped. Again, and it's not even like, oh, okay, he's getting little, like singles. and He's getting bombed. And that again, it's been one start. He looked he looked okay in the Miami in the opening day. So again, not loving again giving up five home four home runs in Milwaukee. Again, there's a band box, but still three in a row. At, at this point, the main goal for Max Scherzer is make them forget the wild card game, and he hasn't done that so far. He really has just looked like shit. So we're gonna get a flashback of that tomorrow when he pitches against the, the Padres. So I'm gonna I'm gonna keep this short and simple. Drew Smith. I'm gonna make a full on different video about this because this guy's a problem like i know we talk about this guy sucking and being a choke artist but overall this guy's a problem he is a problem to this bullpen especially with edwin diaz going down he's not changed one bit i mean i think it already was the time to let go but again just another piece of dead weight so that brings us to our rapid fire stories mets number two overall prospect brett Beatty left last tuesday's game for the syracuse mets due to right thumb soreness which was the same thumb that he had surgery on last season but Beatty did return to the syracuse lineup yesterday going 0 for 3 with two walks. Mets right fielder Starling Marte left Saturday's game with a neck strain after jamming his head into Gene Segura's body while successfully stealing third base. Marte is now considered day-to-day and avoid all concussion complications. The Syracuse Mets placed Jeff Brigham on the seven-day injured list with an undisclosed injury earlier this week. Brigham was acquired by the Mets along with Eliezer Hernandez from the Marlins over the offseason. The Giants have re-signed Darren Ruff to a minor league contract. The Mets DFA'd the 36-year-old last week, returning to the team who traded him during last year's trade deadline. The Mets have claimed right-handed pitcher Edwin Yuseta from the Pirates. Pirates. Yuseta is 25 years old and spent 2022 with the Diamondbacks, posting a 5.82 earned run average in 17 innings pitched. This week, Mets first baseman Pete Alonso surpassed 150 career home runs, making him the second fastest player to reach this feat in baseball history. Alonso is now sixth all-time on the Mets' all-time home run list, just three away from Dave Kingman for fifth all-time. Parting words for episode... 14. San Diego gets a rematch from the wild card series. And you Darvish, we all know how well you Darvish loves to face the Mets against Scherzer Monday. So it'll be fun. I get to watch David Peterson on my birthday on Wednesday. So that'll be fun. But again, it's up. We'll see again. Where do we rank up? Are we on that upper echelons of the super teams? Or are we a tier below? Again, it's April. We really can't overreact to a series, but it is also fun to see how you battle those top teams in baseball. Yeah, I mean, it's always interesting when they play a team like the Padres because when you have the highest payroll in baseball and you're in win-now mode, the expectation should be, okay, we're trying to win a World Series. 
there's a good chance that you may bump into the Padres again in the playoffs. So, I mean, how do you stack up with them? Is your team ready to compete with them? Right now, it doesn't look like it is because they could actually hit the ball over the fence. They, you know, got guys like Xander Bogarts, and they have just cons- consistently gotten these players that and you know, made a trade for Juan Soto. Wow, something we talked about doing that yeah, they can't because the Nationals have a day against the Mets. So it's just like, are you any better than last year? Because that's what we complained about all offseason. You got bounced by the Padres. Can you show me something different? Like, can, can I see some fight? Can I see something exciting? Can I see guys not named Pete Alonso hit the ball over the fence and just like the pitching to be decent? Is that too much to ask? And if you can't do that, at least destroy Oakland. Again, shouldn't be an unreasonable ask, but with the Mets, you just never. We're taking this one game at a time of, like I've said, with everything just seems like a full-on journey, a nine-inning journey, even though these games are quicker than they were last year with the pitch clock. But, I mean, taking it one game at a time, Max Scherzer, again, like I said, make them forget. This is the team that completely blew you up. And now it's even better now with 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 Xander Bogarts in the lineup. So, Max Scherzer, get your shit together. Stop being shit, or I'm going to be very pissed off. Have a better week than this week. That's all I ask. But other than that, thank you guys so much for watching. Episode 14, for those of you who are listening, thank you as well. Let's go Mets. We'll see you guys next week.